Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast with your host, Phil Hawkins. And Asai Calderon-Muñiz. Welcome back to another episode, and this is a special one because we have special guests. Um, so everyone here knows Azai, but we have an extra guest here, and that is Jake Gluckman, who is somebody that I actually worked with like we met, we were meeting like weekly for for months in there for a while. Yeah. Um, but Jake actually was one of my tutoring students who is now one of the instructors here at Jack Weston. So um, we were joking earlier that he has shifted over to the dark side. Um, he's on the other side of the MCAT. Um, I, I don't know if I want to make that evil comparison, but um, <laughs> maybe not. But, yeah, I'll things, take it. <laughs> yeah, things have shifted. Um, so I want to welcome you, uh, Jake, and why don't we just kind of start off with just like a little bit about big picture, like what, what, what's going on with you and kind of like the, the realm of, of trying to become a physician. And Um, so many things. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much, (laughs) Phil and Azai for having me. Um, this feels like a very full circle moment. I feel like I, I listened to the Jack Weston podcast religiously in during my MCAT prep. So this is, it's really an honor to be here. Um, so honor for I, us as well. <laughs> so I recently finished a, a pre-med post-bac program um, at Bryn Mawr College, and I finished that in May. I took the MCAT in April, so I guess three or four months ago at this point. Uh, and now I'm at Jack Weston teaching some classes and office hours, also working on um, my secondaries for med school applications, so happy to talk about that. Um, and pretty soon I'll be starting um, some clinical research jobs um, in New Jersey as I uh, prepare for the hopeful interview process. <laughs> I'm I'm not worried about the interview process. You will have interviews, and I think you will do well on them. But um, the secondaries—that's the thing that, like, I still toss and turn at night about secondaries, just because so many of them and they're oh, all yeah. so different. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they're some of them are like slightly different. So you have to like change mm-hmm. some, some of them are different word counts. So yeah, it's, it's a fun time, but mm-hmm. I only have two left. So hopefully I'll be done. Around the corner. <laughs> you are way faster than I was when I was doing my secondary. So I just want to, I just want to throw that out. I don't think I had any done until September. So, um, so out of curiosity, what landed you in wanting to do medicine? Cause you've put in all of this work. You're doing so much to get into medical school, which we are rooting for you. Um, the question you. then is, how did you know medicine was for you? Yeah, so it's it's sort of a it's a long-ish story. I'll try to try to boil it down. But um, in college, uh, as an undergraduate, I was very interested in performance and acting for musical theater, and so I spent a lot of time acting, and I went on some auditions, and I thought that that was what I loved to do. Or I thought that was what I wanted to do as a career because it was a passion of mine and mm-hmm. I loved it. But uh, sort of through my acting and writing that I did, I ended up writing a musical about my brother who's autistic. And through that process, I did a lot of, I took some classes at um, the Yale Child Study Center to kind of learn more about the clinical side of neurodevelopment. And through that, I sort of found myself really interested in that side of things and when I wrote the show, I think I was hoping to gain some like clarity and understanding about disability and neurodivergence in a way that I didn't. I, I don't regret writing the show and everything that came from it. I'm very grateful for. But so 
sort of in the year and a half after writing the show, when I was sort of sitting with it and realizing that what I loved about writing it was the kind of understanding the people and and delving into the clinical side of things. And and so I took some time. I, I volunteered uh, at a psychiatry unit um, and I found myself loving patient interactions. I also like reflected on the fact that in high school, I actually love science and I was kind of a math and science geek in high school. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took a turn in college. So after all that reflecting and, and some clinical exposure, I, I realized that medicine would be the path for me. So ended up applying to some post programs and now here I am. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, it's it's honestly inspiring and it genuinely is inspiring. I think our families and the people that we love can have such a huge impact on us and um you can tell that there's just so much love for you know that that's in your story as well um and so much self-discovery as well uh, and i suspect there are listeners here who can resonate with some of that and i think it's important to be able to hear those stories because they're the ones that show us that there's so much possible Right. And that two things that you care about don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can build off of (laughs) one another and prompt you to make changes that open up so many doors, um, which is is really a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's super interesting. I feel like theater and like a lot of the arts often can be windows into other realms and like that putting yourself in the shoes of others. Like you can start to understand kind of what other people are going through and that kind of broadens your horizons. And I know this isn't a thing about theater, but um, <laughs> but that's, that's like a I whole think other that's podcast. A, yeah, it's a whole other <laughs> podcast. We need to start a second podcast. Um, but just kind of like that experience of putting yourself in someone else's shoes, I think, is going to be really useful as a physician, because that's where that empathy side of things comes yeah. from, is like being like, how would somebody feel if this happened? And like writing a screenplay and and that sort of thing. And that's super interesting. And like, like as I said, inspiring. Um, you said you did that post back. Did you do that because of the kind of, the kind of shift and you felt like it like made that transition into the more medical side of things easier? Yeah, absolutely. I because I only started thinking about medicine towards like in my last year of college, I had no pre-med like class experience. Um, I remember I took like a, I took a biology class in my senior year, but it wasn't like the intro bio TM sort of a kind of lighter (laughs) biology class. Uh, It was called like biology, the world and us very kind of ethereal. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, so I needed all the requirements. Um, and so I took a year after college. I, I worked at a nonprofit that helps kids who have serious illnesses write songs. So it was kind of a cool intersection of like, well, I love mm-hmm. that music and also working with patients. So during that year, I applied to all these programs. And then when I finished my fellowship at that job, that's when I started Bryn Mawr, which which Br- Bryn Mawr's program is designed for like career changers who have had no pre-med, pretty much no pre-med requirements. I think there's Maybe I had a couple friends who took like one semester of Gen Chem or one semester of yeah. bio. Um, but there's all different kinds of programs. There's some for people who have taken none. There's some programs where you can kind of pick and choose some remaining classes that you haven't done. Um, so there's lots of lots of options for people who are coming to this pre-med journey very late. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that think pre-med is like you do everything in undergrad and then you jump straight into med school afterwards. And that's kind of yeah. the way that everyone thinks about that's the default. But really... 
And like, maybe that is the most common path, but I don't think like, that's not like 90% of the path. There's a lot of people kind of coming in from different angles. Postbacks yeah. can be really useful, like for that sort of thing of just trying to hit those. But also like, there are some students that like, um, I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, but like my freshman year, I kind of blew off <laughs> some classes like yoga and theater, which do, does not make sense with what I was saying earlier. Um, but that uh, like as a result, my GPA was pretty low my freshman year. And I know there's a lot of students that like end up like doing a post back to just kind of like show like, listen, I can be academically rigorous and I can deal with that. So that's a good way to kind of differentiate and kind of show that if you have some weak spots on your application, um, that a lot of students kind of end up going that way. I feel like that's more often why students do postbacks and it's a great way to do it. But like also just like hitting, mm -hmm. if you haven't taken your prereqs and you've got a degree, like find a postback program that you can kind of like throw on your resume as well to just kind of beef that up. Yeah. Um, especially if like you're going to take the classes either way. If you can like put something on your resume at the end of it, that might be better than just going back and doing just just taking some extra undergrad courses. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also kind of something that students don't always know about. I am curious to hear how'd you find out about the possibility of a postback program? Because I know people who go through and they're not sure what those next steps are. And like you mentioned, yep. so a lot of students, what they end up doing is they end up just taking the additional classes, um, but not recognizing that's an option. Part of the reason I want to bring that up is because I think there are a lot of programs in general, not just with um, post-bac programs that students aren't aware of that can help them in terms of being more competitive, but also getting the support that they need. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, sort of my, <laughs> like any good search starts, I Googled things. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I had never heard the term post-bac before. And but I was, I, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, what do people do that want to like come to medicine <laughs> later in life? And so, yeah, I started with Google and ended up just reading about a lot of programs. Um, I like kind of scoured my network of friends and mentors. And I, I uh, found some family friends or whatever who had done postback programs. So I talked to a bunch of people. Um, I talked to some people who did like a two-year program. Um, I talked to some people. I had a friend at the time who was just taking some extra classes through, I think it was like the Harvard Extension School, actually. Um, so it wasn't like a formal program, but he was taking classes online. Um, and then sort of when I saw the kind of one-year structure of Bryn Mawr's program and some similar programs, I think I realized that was what felt right to me because um, I think I wanted it wanted to get it done in a year. Um, but it's, you know, everyone's different. Yeah. Yeah. Get it, getting it done. Like something that's hyper structured and designed for like just getting you all the things you need in one year that yeah. can be really useful when like the structure is already there. There's also a lot of postbacks. <laughs> this is kind of turning into a thing about postbacks all of a sudden. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's also a lot of postbacks that have that are uh, like tied to a med school. And so like going through that postback program can kind of like, you know, like lubricate your way of making it into into that um that what a lovely school. image I, that, I, i'm like that's the only thing that's coming to mind I'm like, i know there's a better word but i don't i can't think of it um ease the way that's that's a way better ease, yeah yeah um because some postbacks call it linkage like linkage you yeah link thank you there's well, another yeah. better word there's a lot of better words out there um but Phil, you're sending us to the dark side now I, this I oh, yeah I'm, I know. I'm feeling the dark side now yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, but like that's something that can be really useful. A lot of schools have like lower MCAT requirements if you go through a certain program. I know there's some schools that have like if you get like a 126 or 127 in every section, you have automatic acceptance. Um, and, and so that's something that can be really useful as well for students. If, if you know exactly where you want to go, which is not everyone, um, that's something that can make things a little bit easier as well. Totally. So how well, did you guys connect? Yeah. So uh, I remember it was this was in it was in like February or something. Um, I kind of found Phil through like, you know, a tutoring venue. And um, and, and it was funny because I, I had listened to the MCAT podcast before I sort of was connected to Phil. I remember seeing Phil's email address and I was like, Phil Hawkins, that name sounds so familiar. And I realized <laughs> that it's the famous Phil from yeah. the Western podcast. So uh, it, it was kind of wonderful to um, get to meet Phil and work with him. And kind of immediately I was like, oh, wow, like this guy knows what he's talking about and I'm going to learn so much from him. And and I did. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun um working with you because i've every student is a little bit different and students have different strengths and weaknesses um and what i felt like the first chunk of our time was like i'm like okay i'm pointing you at different topics and like sticking you on them and then you would just devour them and then we'd meet and i'm like okay i don't need to talk about this that much because you very clearly really understand it at this point <laughs> and so most of our time was not focused on the content side of things but more on the strategy side of things and like how to yeah. kind of get in the heads of the mcat writers and understand kind of like how they craft incorrect questions and a lot of strategy stuff um that's always really fun going into that that's uh i feel like Often when I talk about tutoring, there's kind of the grind phase where it's just like memorize all the stuff. And but then there's also the application phase where you're kind of learning to do tons of data analysis and interpretation and things like that. Um, yeah. And I remember that when we started, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, hopefully you're OK. Uh, like talking <laughs> about your scores kind of yeah. go through this. Yeah. But um, like cars was far and away your strongest section by the time we were done. <laughs> Um, like sciences were way up there too. And so that was just, um, kind of exciting to see that trajectory kind of going up week to week. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely quite a journey. And I think I remember one of the, well, I I remember early on because, because I was in my prospect program, I, there were some kind of content stuff that I just had not learned. And I was like two months out for my test day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Phil, what is the kidney? Like, I don't, I don't know what is <laughs> yeah. happening. And so I think it was really helpful to get kind of those kind of crash course, you know, here's what aldosterone is, what ADH is, and why these are kind of the main foundations. Um, mm-hmm. And I also really like kind of how you approach things like, you know, there are, there's like processes and there's a story around it, especially someone coming from a theater background. I really kind of appreciated that approach to teaching. But yeah, I think I remember... Cars, cars was a section where in the beginning I was like fine, and then I had this like weird dip in the middle mm-hmm. where I was just getting like scores that I was not happy with, and yeah. I I kept being like, oh my god, Phil, like I don't know what's happening. I was getting so stressed because the scores weren't moving, 
Well, that science stuff and has pushed the car <laughs> stuff out of yes. your head. I remember, yeah, Break there was one heart. exam where it was like all 130s except for cars, which is was like yeah. in the like 120s, like mid yeah, 120s, mid, mid high. Yeah, yeah. It was the mid 120s. Um, and I, I just remember something you said to me that was really helpful where you kind of were like, Jake, like, look at how you started with cars. Like, you're, you're just feeling burnt out. And I think that was a really helpful thing to keep in mind where when you're taking like tests week after week, and I'm sure for people listening, you've experienced this, like, especially with cars, it's so easy to just like get burned out and like have trouble reminding yourself that, you know, you know, the strategy is like, you don't need to rely on content. And it's just about, um, you know, keeping your brain on so that you're not like, yeah, you know. especially in those last couple of weeks, students are usually pushing so hard that like they're learning more, they're getting more content, but their critical thinking is becoming I, I don't want to say worse, but it's just becoming kind of muddier just because people are tired. Yeah. And like when you're exhausted and burnt out, like it's hard to think critically. Um, I know I've talked about this before with you, Jake. Yeah. Um, but like if I like woke somebody up in the middle of the night and said like, quick, name an amino acid, like they could yeah. probably do it. But, well, if they're an MCAT <laughs> student. Um, but if I said like shook them and said like, quick, like read this scientific journal and like and explain it to me, like that's way more complicated when you're kind of like not in the zone and you're exhausted. And I think that's kind of what was happening. It's like the cars was dropping because cars is all critical thinking. There's no content stuff. And so as you are pushing and gaining that content, but you're like, you're just tired, like your critical thinking is going to drop a little bit. And that's just going to kind of happen naturally. But that's why it's so important, like the week of the test to take things easy so that you're not burnt out in that. Um, yeah. There's a lot of times I'll see scores drop, especially in the cars and the bio, because I think bio also has the most tif- difficult data. Um, and Kim Fizz also has difficult data, but it's also the first section of the test. So if you're tired and burnt out, that doesn't seem to be as affected as much like when you're 30 minutes into the test versus five hours into the test. Yeah. Um, and so you'll see that sometimes kind of dropping in those two sections. It doesn't mean students are like worse than they were like two weeks ago when they took a test. It just means they're tired. Um, and, you know, kind of like keeping in mind the MCAT needs to be a marathon and not a sprint. I thought like you were good at that. Just kind of like pacing yourself. And um, I know we kind of did see that cars drop, but just kind of preventing mm-hmm. extreme burnout. I feel like there's there's always going to be a level of a little burnout um, yeah, going absolutely. on with the MCAT, but not letting it get too bad. Mm-hmm. There's so much that I want to say. Um, but I, you, you have activated every part of my interest in the MCAT um, between the strategy and how we learn and the interest in learning. So I will try and be systematic about this, but I suspect it will not work. But first, oh my goodness, yes, the importance of having learning be fun, right? And the importance of it being engaging. You can't stress that enough because at the end of the day, you want material to actually stick and you want to be able to retain the material. And so Reading from a textbook for a lot of us, and I'm going to include myself in this, doesn't quite do what we need it to do sometimes, right? We need other ways to engage with the material. And getting paired with Phil, I'm sure, was really great because of that, Um, just making learning fun. And that's something that, you know, even with cars, one of the things I always tell students is, if you read like this the entire time, I don't know how you expect to not get bored, right? (laughs) Because that's not how we have conversations. You wouldn't want to listen to us talking like that. And so having ways to stay engaged with all of the sections is so incredibly important. And like you pointed out, Phil, cars is the first section to take a hit when you are stressed, when you're (laughs) under the weather, 
when you know you get sick or you are burnt out. And so always keeping that in mind is incredibly important. And that strategy, right, is is everything for cars. And so it's really important to keep all of these things in mind when you're watching your progress and not forgetting how far you've come. It's really easy to kind of get those blinders and see, okay, but compared to last week or two weeks ago, like yeah. you were saying, Phil. But if you think about, well, for the students that are you know, started in the 480s and are in the 500s, like, wait a second, do you realize how far you've come, right, when you make that progress? And so it's really easy to get so focused on the end goal and that kind of perfection mindset that we forget about all the progress that we've made. Um, And Phil, you sent me back to during my primary clinical year, there was a surgeon who was giving us this short talk on abdominal pain. And he said something really similar to what you said about amino acids. He said, if you get a call, if you're on call and it's midnight and you get woken up from sleep and someone says, yeah, I have this patient with abdominal pain, you should be able to list at least 10 different possible (laughs) causes of the abdominal pain. You can figure out what they might be on your way to the hospital after talking with the patient. (laughs) You've got to have something that is automatic for you. And amino acids, absolutely. We're always being annoying about amino acids on the podcast, but they are really one of the things that you need to have on automatic. That midnight you got woken up, what's your differential, right? What are the possible reasons for being sick? In this case, what are the possible amino acids? Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's there's just so much richness in what you guys have already mentioned. I tried to be a little bit more systematic. I know there are things that I forgot. Yeah. But uh, it really is a lot that students can learn just from the conversation that you guys just had a few moments ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also do, I, I want to point out, like, you were, and a lot of times I have students ask, like, why get a tutor or, like, you know, do something else? Um, and I, I don't want to put words in, in your mouth. Maybe I should, like, Jake, I'm going to let you answer that first. Like, you, you tell me, <laughs> yeah. like, why did you want to go tutoring rather than just kind of, like, stick? Because I know you were in classes that were kind of covering MCAT material at the time. Yeah, I think oh, it's a good question because I was actually I was very stubborn about it for a while. I was like, yeah. I don't need a tutor. I'm <laughs> in a post back program. I'm learning everything daily. Uh-huh. But I think what I realized is that and I'm sure you would agree. The MCAT is so much more than content. It's so much I mean, more than just like knowing how the blah, you know, all the how the kidney works, you know, <laughs> I know whatever in. And, and I think what was. What I ultimately realized is that, you know, each student and every test taker is different. Like something that I'm doing in my tests that I'm doing wrong, I might not know what I'm doing wrong, you know, until I, you know, work with a tutor. And I remember when, and I think this is like our third or fourth session, I like learned what MCAT judo was. And that was like a <laughs> mind blowing like session for me. So I was like, oh my God, like I could use the test against itself. I could like systematically to look at answer choices. And even if I don't know the content in the moment, I can see, oh, are any of these opposites or any of these two saying the same thing? So I think that was really, um, you know, important for me. Also, having a tutor or, you know, an advisor who like knows your style and can just be a cheerleader, I think that's super important. I remember I I used to tutor for like the SAT, ACT. And I remember... Mm -hmm. Part of what I was trying to inspire in students is like confidence and just knowing that like if you've taken like seven or eight practice tests, like you know the test well. Like mm-hmm. it's all about just like feeling ownership over the fact that you know this content and that you're gonna get inside the mindset of the double AMC. So I think that was the biggest kind of 
obviously the content that I learned from you was fantastic, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the kind of confidence and fun that you inspire in students, I think that was the most helpful for me. Oh, I appreciate that. That's not <laughs> what I was thinking, but like, that makes me feel good. I need to ask that to everybody. Um, just anytime I'm feeling down. Um, but yeah, I do think it is important, like making learning fun. Honestly, that just makes information stick better. It's not like learning should be fun because it's fun and like fun is good. Don't get me wrong. Um, but also it's, it's more efficient. Um, and yeah. like the scientist in me comes out a little bit and like the data side of things. Like, no, this is a more efficient, better way to do things when students are like the ideas and things stick in your head better when they, when it's like a story, like you said, rather than just like a list of facts, the okay. human brain doesn't want to memorize a list of facts. It wants to memorize stories because stories are fun and interesting. And that's why everyone can like list off like interesting episodes of friends or like different TV shows or what happened to them when they were a kid. But most of them can't list off that list of definitions they tried to memorize for their civics exam. We'll um, but yeah, I agree with the tutoring thing. It's there's a lot of students that are a little bit like, I don't, I don't want it. I don't need it. And it also, I, I think there that is true for some students, but it also matters kind of where you're starting and where you're going. And I know you're very ambitious and like your goals are high. Um, and I'm excited that we were able to kind of like hit those goals, but also uh -huh. figuring out just what those weak areas were and kind of zeroing on that. Like, so, like I said, like there wasn't a lot of content gaps, but like kidneys, like there are certain things well, like, let's kidney. like, yeah, it, it, Jake and I, this is how I know we're cut from the same cloth. Cause kidneys <laughs> is always my example of the thing that like, I, <laughs> like it just didn't stick the first time and I yep. needed, I needed help with that. But um, like being able to zero in on those things and then just be like, okay, this is a problem. Let's carve it out. So it's no longer a problem. Um, and kind of like going in kind of like at with a really specific angle. And that really happens best when somebody really understands the test and really understands the student where you can yeah. be like, okay, I know where you're at. I know what the test is doing and let's, let's figure out like how to get these things to overlap better. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that like classroom stuff, like very often they will understand the test, but they won't understand you um, and uh -huh. because classroom stuff um, in terms of like, you know, taking a course, like a lot of times, like they're not catering to you specifically, um, especially if you don't have a lot of interaction with like the actual instructors, like um, if it's all just pre-recorded videos. I know that we have pre-recorded videos in our course, but we also have like real people Lines. and like there are students that we have right now that like I have gotten to know these students really well through like office hours and workshops and I so if this student asked me a question my answer is going to be different than if another student asked me that question because I kind of understand where the students can be coming from and understanding their goals and timeline and motivations and it just gets it it's honestly, it's kind of a fun puzzle. I feel like as you, you kind of like do, like after you've done this for so long, you're trying to figure out, okay, like how do I like get this, these things to kind of overlap better? Um, mm -hmm. Because while also not just trying to treat everyone the same and trying to turn everyone into the same thing, because um, like critical thinking is something you're really good at. Like I, I don't want to mess with your critical thinking, even if there are some things that like, there's like some other ways to approach this if students need to work on critical thinking, but you're pretty good at that. But just like learning these, like, okay, understand the AAMC better, not trying to change the way you're thinking. 
Um, and that is, that's different than other students. I'm getting real meta here. Um, <laughs> but after like tutoring tons and tons of students, there's a lot of stuff going on with that. Yeah. Yeah. Different resources absolutely have different benefits and different strengths, the same way that all of us have different strengths. And so like you're pointing out, Phil, right, tutoring is great for that one-on-one. -on -one. Help me figure out exactly what's going on in my case and let's target specifically in my case with the way that makes sense with how I think, right? In classrooms and um, larger courses, they can provide that content support. They can provide that structure um, across different sections in more frequent way compared to tutoring often. And those live classroom sessions are so much fun. I completely agree with you. When students are able to attend multiple in a row, you're like, ah, okay, <laughs> let's see. We can actually comment on your progress here. But that's not always the case, right? Some yeah. students can't attend every live session. Um, and so that might be where tutoring also makes more sense. Um, but I know you are part of our classroom team. Jake, tell us a little bit about that because now you've gone from being a tutoring student, taking the actual MCAT, now you're helping other students succeed and improve and see that progress. And a weakness is just the strength you haven't cultivated yet. Now you're helping your students cultivate some future strengths. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really been a joy. I mean, when I when I saw that Jack Weston was looking for instructors, I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, something that I've always wanted to do. And given that it's still so fresh, I was like, oh, this is the perfect time to kind of hopefully give back um, to this community that kind of helped me get where I am. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm currently the instructor for the Jack Wesson Bio Biochem office hours. And what I love about the Bio Biochem section specifically is sort of what I was saying before. I think biology in particular, there's so many like ways to explain processes in a way that is just not really dull. Like I, I remember when I was first learning about glycolysis, like the fact that there were 10 steps, I remember looking at that and being like, oh my God, 10 steps to memorize. Yeah. But then the way it was presented to me um, when I was taking it at my postback program is like, no, there's like logic to this. Like you have to trap glucose inside the cell. You have to uh, make a symmetrical molecule and cleave it. And then like, you know, uh, uh, oxidize it further so that we can get these electron carriers. So that logic made more sense to me than like looking at a bunch of molecules and enzymes and memorizing it. So yeah. I really like talking about, and I actually, I just did a lesson on aerobic metabolism and, and got to talk about like, and, and this kind of an analogy that I use that I also learned from a professor about like at the electron transport chain, it's like, it's like a bucket brigade. And if one of the buckets cannot fill to the next, like if there's no oxygen, you know, none of the buckets can move. So like sort of fun analogies like that, I think are really helpful for students. Um, I even just the other day, I remember I, someone asked a question about like transcription and RNA polymerase and how that works. And just in the moment, I was trying to think of something and I said, oh, well, think of like the template strand as like a roller coaster track and RNA polymerase is like the car that your mm -hmm. brain is kind of putting down and it fits right on the car and then it's sort of putting tracks down along the way. So I think bio biology and biochemistry lend itself really well to those kind of fun um, anthropomorphizing, if you will. Yeah. Sometimes I like to refer to proteins as people. Um, so <laughs> so it's been great. And and the students are so wonderful. I remember when when I was first interviewing with Molly, 
you know, Molly mm-hmm. said immediately like, oh, Jack Weston students are the best. And at first I was like, okay, you know, she probably yeah. has to say that. Like, yeah. you know, everyone has to say <laughs> yeah. that. But, but really like everyone's so supportive in the chat and they ask really, really good questions. And some questions even like stump me for a second and I have to mm-hmm. think about it. Um, so, someone the other day was really wanting to understand the difference between like, well, if, you know, the cofactor for succinct oxidation is it technically FAD or FADH2? And I thought that was a really interesting question. So I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but it's, yeah. it's really been a joy and I'm having the best time. No, that's a good sign when somebody like you ask them a question, they start to ramble because it's like, oh, the science <laughs> is so interesting. And they go into that. And like, that's what we like. That's obviously the best instructors, like people who get really passionate and kind of like go into that. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that, like making things a story, making things more interesting um, it sticks with students better. It also makes sense. Like, and because that's the way the AAMC tests you, like they never ask you straight up, like, what's the definition for a ribosome? Like, that's not yeah. going to be a question. What they're going to do is they're going to give you a question mark. We have this certain drug that specifically binds the the 50S subunit of a ribosome. Um, and then we have this other thing that's making something that binds that drug that binds this. And so how is this going to affect like the overall uh, like biology of a person and like, well, okay, well, this, this drug is going to help kill bacteria. It's going to save somebody's life. That other thing that that bacteria is making is inhibiting that. And so like mm. understanding how those things work is all of a sudden like, Ooh, wait, this is actually interesting. This isn't just memorize like these details, but understand kind of like, what's the difference? Like the 50S subunit is something that we don't have as eukaryotes. So that's a perfect target for a drug because that's something bacteria have in it kills them but doesn't kill us and so that's perfect yeah um and so there is a lot of stuff kind of like going into that and um i agree i like working with students who are i have like going md phd like for my my kind of earlier path a lot of my um classmates are now instructors um at like colleges and things like that and i We'll talk to them and they're, they'll like ask me, it's like, what do you do about like the students that just don't care? And I'm like, I, I don't have that problem. <laughs> like, that's not a thing. Um, I have the most like ambitious, curious students. And I, I do agree. Like when students start to ask questions that starts to push that boundary, all of a sudden it's like, okay, you are really like trying to learn as much as you can. And when you, sometimes you'll get questions that like, like student asked this and I'm like, I don't know this. And to be honest, I don't think anybody knows this. Like right. that's a research topic. <laughs> like you should be doing research if that's a question that you're asking. Um, and so like having those students that are kind of like pushing, not honestly, not just their own boundaries, but like just the boundaries period, like for what human humanity knows. Um, and that's always super interesting. Um, there's a lot of times I'll be like, okay, you don't really need to know this answer to this question for the AMC, but like, here's how it works. And like, that's something (laughs) that, um, when I have students that are uh, so curious and like that kind of community where everyone's kind of encouraging each other, that makes things a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, The community as an instructor is something I know all of us value so much because at the end of the day, the teaching that we do, and I think and I could be wrong, but I suspect I speak for all of us. We do it at the end of the day for our students, right? And for just helping them get to where they want to get to, where they can get to. Um, and we all need support in different ways. And the classroom setting, just having support, students support each other, 
us support the students, them support us, is really just a beautiful experience. Recently, um, we do cars pop quizzes in the course um, every so often. We do them less often different times of years and just depending on what students are interested in. And I remember we had one that was at an earlier time than we normally have uh, workshops. And I remember thinking, oh, not a lot of students are going to show up to this. It's a really weird time, right? And it was one of the biggest sessions I'd had in a while in the course. I was like, wait a second, why is everyone here? <laughs> I had one student who emailed, who sent me a private message. They're like, hey, it's midnight here. Can I get the recording for yourself? Yes, yes, go to bed. It's going to be posted in the quarters. Mm -hmm. um, but just seeing how excited the students that we have and the Jack Weston family is for teaching, for learning, for improving is one of the reasons why I just so enjoy what I do. And Phil, I know you and I have had conversations about yeah. this as part of why you enjoy it. And you just mentioned this as well. Um, and Jake, having come to this side, right, I suspect the adjustment has been interesting, but also really um, just had its own really positive components because of our students, because of the people that make up the Jack Weston team. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I'd, some of the kind of, I remember I had some extra time in an office hour session and I was like, any general questions? And all these students were asking, like, what is the highest yield topics and <laughs> everything? I'm like, oh, I, I was there. <laughs> like, yeah. I, was, I remember being there where I just wanted to know, like, what what is most important? And yeah. unfortunately, it's a very long answer. But <laughs> yeah. figuring out how to prioritize your time. That I always think, like, okay, <laughs> like, sometimes there's a question, but the question you're asking is not the question that you are trying to ask and like that question is really like how do i improve my score the fastest is, okay. and like with the least amount of work right and not yeah. that like students are lazy or things like that there's just there's so much stuff that you need to be efficient right like if you say somebody like i need you to move this mountain over there right if okay. they say like i need to figure out how to do this with the like the fastest with the least amount of work right like that's not them being lazy. That's them trying to figure out how to do an undoable task, which is mm -hmm. often kind of the way I think the MCAT is structured. And I want to be honest, on purpose, because med school itself is sometimes like, there's so much information. How do I deal with this? So being able to make it through the MCAT makes you a better medical student and like makes that transition easier as you go forward. But we, we have not talked about your actual MCAT. <laughs> I realized like we have we've kind of talked about kind of like the past to to medicine and like post back and tutoring yeah. and and like working in the classroom stuff. But um, I know that there were a couple of things that like you felt like, oh, like curveballs coming at you on the day of your actual test. Yes. Yeah. The oh, boy, a day that will maybe I'll block <laughs> out, you know, eventually. Yeah. But <laughs> um, I remember Chemphys had always been like my best section in all of my prep. Like, even like I remember when I was working with you, Phil, you're like, <laughs> we're not going to touch Chemphys. We are going to, you know, just accept that that's going to be okay. Um, but I remember when I, the first passage on my test day, I like almost started crying because <laughs> it was like, it was just a really difficult passage. I remember just, it was, it was something, I don't know, something would do with like protein synthesis. And it was just like, I could not parse the language. I spent way too much time on it. Eventually, I sort of figured it out, but I was going through the rest of it, and there were so many questions that just felt so out of left field that like were very nitpicky questions that about like subtopics of subtopics. And I just left the section being like, oh my God, I must have gotten like 
more than like 12 or 13 questions wrong. And, uh, and it, so it sort of threw me off for the rest of the test. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like, oh my God, you know, are the rest of the section is going to be as difficult. And, you know, I'm going, oh, I should have studied that more, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, Kempfiz, that section I ended up getting a perfect score on. So it, it's sort of like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, um, it like, it just, it was a reminder to me of like, um, you know, on the test day, you may be confronted with things that seem very unfamiliar, but know that like the AAMC throws experimental questions and you never know how the curve is going to turn out. Like if you found, and I remember even on Reddit after that test, like someone said, like never seen a chemist section that hard. And I got like 200 upvotes. So <laughs> it, it like, it was just a great, like, um, like reminder of that in the test day, you can't like overanalyze like wrong was my score going to be because you never know what's going to happen sort of at the end of the day but um sort of in the other sections i remember in the bio section <laughs> i feel like the kidney keeps coming up a lot but i remember <laughs> there was nothing about the kidney on my mcat and i was like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah like i'd spent so much time like learning that and and so that also reminded me like you know it's the breadth of the mcat is obviously super important and you got to be familiar with everything you can't bet mm -hmm. on like you know, one topic always going to be asked about. Um, and it's just the nature of the test. And yeah, um, yeah. it's that's also mm -hmm. why like just the strategy is so important. One to when you end up in those scenarios where it's like so out of left field where you're like, I have never even heard of this thing, let alone do I know how to answer questions about it. But like having good strategies will definitely help with that scenario. Um, but also like the content yeah. side of things. And th this always is like surprising, especially to students when they're kind of starting. But like the MCAT is a long test, right? Like, you know, total like seated time, seven and a half hours. Like just go ahead and plan on like eight hours-ish anytime you need to take a practice test. It's going to be like an eight hour ordeal. And even then, like that's not enough time to test all the stuff that they're holding students accountable for. Like you could take like three exams and never see a magnetism question. That doesn't mean that you don't need to know magnets and magnetism because they could ask it, but just like the exam isn't long enough for them to ask all the questions that they want to ask. And like that's that's kind of mind blowing and kind of like speaks to just the scope of the MCAT um, and like how big it is. And that's why like the strategy is super important because like having really good strategies will help you across the board with every single question. And so even if you come across something that like is a, like a question out of left field, um, you can deal with that. But then also like a topic that you're like, I, I just haven't studied. This is my weakest area. And like having good strategy will help you with that, just like it'll help you with your strongest area. It's kind of like yeah. a uh, a field leveler, right? Where like having great strategies kind of pulls up every section. Studying magnetism is not going to make you better at psych or yeah. cars or things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is something where I think it's really easy to not realize, especially in the throes of studying and especially when we're first becoming exposed to the MCAT. But as much as the MCAT gets a lot of hate, it does have its purpose. It really does prepare you for medical school in a way I think is more subtle than people realize. It's not just the content. So yes, there is some content that you will absolutely revisit in medical school, the kidneys being one of them. 
um, you will you will not escape the kidneys. And perhaps you'll be like me and get a nephrologist who's as an instructor coming in dressed in a banana. So and this actually that's, happened. That's we unusual. had one of our instructors come in dressed in a banana costume. Um, so that was a highlight. Don't remember as much from from the actual session, but remember yeah. that. I hope they um, were focusing on potassium. They that. were. That's, they were. That's okay. why it's a banana. Okay. I'm like, what's the connection? Excellent. Sodium, <laughs> potassium. Banana, potassium. Potassium um, is the connection. Uh, spreading activation just made me think of neurons being a salty banana. Salt on the outside and then potassium on the inside. That's is a really yes. that's a good like, one. That's yeah. a good connection, but also sounds like something I don't want to eat. Like yes. that sounds, <laughs> yes. that sounds, sounds awful. terrible. Perhaps uh, <laughs> don't eat it. That's great, uh, but terrible. Um. <laughs> but yeah, you'll see some of that content in medical school, right? But at the same time, what you're describing, you know, Jake and Phil, is that the breadth of knowledge that you need to have is massive. As a future physician the amount of knowledge and content that you will have memorized, that you will have learned over the years, that you will continue to learn because it's a never-ending process, never-ending learning, will become massive. And you're going to come across situations, patients, illnesses that push the boundary of what you know or may be totally new to you, right? And you have to be able to think on your feet. You have to be able to see those non-textbook presentations and say, okay, what are the connections here? What are the patterns? What are the outliers? And kind of take that consistent strategy, having a very consistent approach to being able to identify when is something not the usual, but still really important. Yeah. And so the way that you think about, I say this a lot with the car section is basically your first set of patients, um, but the way you think about how you approach also the sciences and this really uncomfortable situation, learning to be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation will help you get further in medical school, prepare you for those stressful moments um, when you're on the wards or when you're a future you know, physician as a resident, an, an intern, eventually an attending, even attendings look things up, believe it or not. <laughs> and so, you know, it really does have its value as frustrating as the MCAT can be. And I think learning to shift our mindset, something I wish I would have known and understood when I was studying for the MCAT, I think is really important to help students succeed, retain information, and just get more out of this otherwise potentially very stressful situation. Yeah. That like curveballs in medicine happen all the time. I honestly yes. think that's also why the AAMC does that on the MCAT is they need medical students and physicians who are like when they come across something that they have never seen before and are mm -hmm. not prepared for they need people who are able to be like, okay, what can I do, right? Not, oh, oh no, like I can't handle this and throw up their hands, right? Um, and that's something that happens a lot in medicine, right? Like definitely more in some branches of medicine than others. Like if you're an ER physician, that's your day <laughs> is nonstop curveballs where it's stuff that you did not expect coming. Um, but I remember when I was in med school, like they had us doing like these um, like shadowing things where we're kind of like going in and kind of doing trainings. Um, and uh, like I had just started med school. I'd been in med school for like a couple of months. And uh, the person I was working with was like, listen, can you go in and do a history and physical and like on this patient? Like he's like, this patient is one of my favorite patients. He's very funny. He's like super interesting. Like you'll have a you'll have a good time going in there. And I go in, I'm like, all right, so what seems to be the problem? And he's like, I'm suicidal. And I'm like, I don't know how to handle this, right? Like I've been a med student well, for two months, right? Like if 
I know two things, diabetes and broken arms. And like, so if your arm isn't broken, you have diabetes. That's, that's what I've figured out at this point. And like, I, like, I was just kind of like over my head. And so learning to be like, okay, how do I deal with this in a way that is useful to the patients? What can I do? Right. And that is something that can be a little bit terrifying. Now, obviously like depression and that sort of stuff is not going to be that big of a deal to a not, not, I don't, let me, let me rephrase that. Let me pull that back. I'm going to say it's not, not a big deal. It is a big deal, but it's not going to be something that is like a physician who's been practicing for 30 years. That's not going to be like a curveball. Like maybe it was to me when I had only been in med school for a couple of months. Um, and they would have better tools for dealing with that than I had at that moment. Let me, let me pull that back. Um, but it was, it, it wouldn't be as much of a curveball to a somebody who'd been really um, in the the trenches of medicine for a longer time. But that's something that does happen and you need to be able to adjust to that. And I think that's why the MCAT does that. Like, I think it is literally a, a uh, purposeful decision that like, we're not gonna just tell students memorize this stuff and then we just ask them if they memorize that stuff, right? Uh-huh. We're gonna tell them to memorize stuff, and then we're going to make them apply it to weird scenarios that we know they've never heard of um, uh-huh. and like things that are completely out of left field. But I think that's on purpose. I think that's why the MCAT's a good test. It's also why the MCAT is really hard um, because it's huge piles of information being applied in really weird ways. Um, and that just is a recipe for um, like a, an overwhelming task. But you make it through it, like you are going to be a better physician as a result of it. I know there's a lot of people that say we should get rid of the MCAT, but I honestly think that like, even if you knew how well somebody would do on the MCAT and you just accepted them into med school based on that, I think going through the MCAT makes you a better medical student and eventually a better physician. So very quick reminder to our listeners the material that you will see on test day. So the actual pieces themselves, the passages were not written for the MCAT. They are excerpts from pieces that were written in for science in, you know, scientific articles and journals um, and submitted for that. So we were not the original intended audience that also applies to CARS, but the that's part of how the AMC puts you in this scenario where you are not familiar with some of the information. So just a quick reminder, I know a lot of times students will say, well, I didn't know this, might not have actually needed to know it ahead of time. Um, so just wanted to leave that quick reminder for our listeners. Yeah. Is there any, is there any big pieces of advice you have, Jake? I know we're kind of like, um, we're, we're already over on the the time that we had allotted on this, but, um, is there any, any like big piece of information, big piece of advice that you'd give to students that are kind of like in this journey, um, or in the middle of it or just starting it? Yeah. I, I think early on in my process, it's funny, we, we, we just, we just spent a lot of time talking about like the breadth of the MCAT and how much content mm-hmm. there is. But I, I remember, Phil, actually something you said to me kind of later in our journey is like, there is a limit to what mm-hmm. the MCAT can test about. <laughs> like there is a limit and finding that balance between, yes, making sure you understand, you know, nitty gritty aspects of metabolism um, versus like, do you need to know that one enzyme from the pentose phosphate pathway? Like probably not. <laughs> And I think early on in my journey, I was like reading through like the Kaplan book and like trying to memorize every little thing there. And that was just so overwhelming. And I mm-hmm. think ultimately that hindered kind of how I was studying because it just made it more stressful and 
Um, so anyway, if you're, I would say if you're listening and you're very early on in your pre-med journey, um, make sure that, you know, you just focus on the fundamentals first, have a good grasp on like fundamental concepts in biology, you know, like, you know, energy transfers and how, you know, energy is converted from one form to another, um, a compartmentalization of processes, like a lot of kind of themes, I guess, again, coming from a theater background, love talking about themes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so whenever I was kind of grounding myself in like the themes of each process and each topic, I think it made the actual exam a bit more manageable because I knew that going into a passage, like I'm not going to know about this specific gene and disorder and what it does, but I do know, you know, how to do a Punnett square and like how to, you know, think about translation of proteins and how this amino acid will change and what that will do. So I think, yeah, I think that would be my biggest piece of advice is just focus on the fundamentals, go in depth when you need to. If you see something on an exam that is foreign, spend a little more time on it. Um, <laughs> but know that it is a manageable process and you're not supposed to cram every piece of information in your head. Yeah, that's that's honestly a good bit of how I built a course was the idea is like, let's go through kind of all of this kind of shotgun. Like we're going to hit everything here, but focusing on main themes. But the idea being like, as you start to approach test day and you take exams, like the exams are telling you what you need to go back and relook at because not everything is going to stick in your head always. And I think there's a lot of times students when they're studying feel like I can't move to the next section until I have perfectly mastered and can regurgitate everything from the previous nine chapters. And like, as you keep adding stuff to this pile, that becomes impossible. Like you won't be able to hold all that stuff. And I think that that often stops people from making progress because they feel like they need to be perfect on the things that they've done up until that point. And just realizing like, okay, the, te the MCAT is a test of recognition, not recall. Like you don't need to draw cholesterol, but you need to recognize, hey, that looks like cholesterol. Um, and a lot of that comes down to, like you said, understanding those boundaries of what is the MCAT going to expect you to know and what are they not. And so when you get to a question, sometimes they will ask you a question that you're not expected to know this, but that's your clue that like somewhere in the passage, right? The answer is somewhere in here. I just got to go find it. But that only happens when you understand those boundaries, um, because sometimes, yes, the questions have to come from your head. Sometimes they have to come from the passage. And like, that's one of the big challenges is figuring out, okay, which question is this? Is this something that I'm supposed to know? And in that case, if I don't know it, there's no way for me to answer this. And I need to recognize that and move on and not like sink more time mm -hmm. into this. Or is this something that like, oh, the answer, this is not something, the MCAT's not going to expect me to know about this specific enzyme involved in Ebola, right? And so the answer is somewhere in the passage. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, it says endosome. So it's endosome. No, like, you're good. Um, and so just yeah. kind of like recognizing those things um, is important. But that's the stuff that comes towards the end of the prep, and like those last like six weeks, the last month. Um, I know as I, like we've done episodes on how to review exams and how to use the exams, how to create a schedule. And like all of those are in previous podcast episodes. Anybody who has any questions about that, please go check those or just mm -hmm. reach out to us at podcast at jackweston.com. Um, but I am... Very excited, honestly, just to see you, Jake. Um, I'm like, yeah. just it's been a like while. missing out on that. Um, I know, like, we were texting back and forth. Um, uh, like, you texted me about like a book recommendation I made as well. Um, and that yes. I'm very glad that you enjoyed 
That was that was like my first thing I did after I took the MCAT was read this book that Phil recommended, <laughs> Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, writer yeah, of the Martian. Super good. It's uh, it was just it was incredible. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also heavy in physics, so of course it's great. It's, <laughs> it's but exactly. I, I don't, I don't, it's not a physics book. It's a it's a novel that's kind of like story. But if you understand some physics, it gets super interesting. It's also kind of biology and evolution, but it's, yeah. Uh, super, super interesting book. It's a very, very good book. Thank you so much for joining us, Jake. We had a really great time chatting with you. I'm absolutely sure that our listeners had a great time listening to your story, to your progress, what test day was like, and hopefully they can see you um, in in the course during office mm-hmm. hours. And thank you so much for being a fantastic guest on our host on our podcast. <laughs> thank you, Phil and Azai, for having me. This was a, a, a dream come true. So thank you, and I hope to see you students in future office hours.